We're in our last sermon on the story of Joseph. And this sermon is entitled, Frozen or Freed. You'll remember that last week we talked about Jacob and Jacob's travels, his sojourning from his, his home, the promised land, to Egypt. Not the promised land, not where he was going, not where he wanted to be. What we missed out on was Joseph revealing himself to his brothers and reconciling with his brothers. And that takes part in two chapters, Genesis 45 and Genesis 50. And that's what we're going to look at today, Genesis 45 and Genesis 50. So let me read to you. We're going to, we're going to skip around some different verses. If you've got a Bible and you want to open up, uh, Genesis 45 is where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Genesis 50 is where Joseph's father, Jacob, has died. And the brothers become frightened that he is going to get retribution on them. And we'll look at that story. And at the end of Genesis 50, Joseph dies. So let's look at that. Let's look at those, those now. The word of God in Genesis 45 says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt." Verse 10, it says, You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks and your herds, and all that you have, there I will provide for you. And he kissed his brothers, and he wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers, this is years and years later, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before, his, before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Let me pray. Lord, we pray for a deep sense of your presence and encouragement this morning over us as we look at your word and as we wrap up this story about Joseph. Lord, help us to be transformed by interacting with you. In your name, amen. Frozen or freed? Are you frozen by the pain of the past or are you freed for the future? At a funeral, there was uh, two adult children of the person who had died. The person who had died was a father, and he was not a very good father. While those two children were younger, he had been just basically a jerk. He had not been a very good dad. He hadn't been present. He had been absent even when he was in the home. It was like he wasn't really there, and he was just mean. And as those two children grew up, he continued to be very hard and difficult to work with, and it caused deep wounds in both of those children, even as they grew older, to the point where they, could, they loved their father, but they could only handle so much of their father before they just had to say, I'm sorry, our visit's over, I've got to leave. And that continued throughout their adulthood, and then eventually their father passes away and dies. And at that funeral, both of them have experienced deep pain from that person. But one of them is able to celebrate the life of their father. They're able to admit, look, he was not a great person. <laughs> he caused pain and harm, but, but I can celebrate him and I can celebrate his life even though he caused me pain. But the other person, the other sibling, the other adult child of this deceased man, was at the funeral with teeth clenched, angry, frozen by the pain of the past. While the other one was free, the other one was stuck. And no one can really blame the one that was stuck. We would all very easily be there, right? It's very easy to be frozen in the present by the pain of the past. But it begs the question, how did that other person get to the point of freedom? Where they don't have to deny that the person was not a great person. At the same time, they can celebrate their life at their funeral, even though they went through the exact same pain that the other person did. You and I go through difficult things, and often those difficult things are caused by difficult people in our life. And that causes us pain. And the pain from that often freezes us. What psychologists will often say is when someone goes through trauma based on another person, often that freezes their ability to mature. So if you go through something when you're 15, if you don't know how to get to freedom, you actually stay emotionally 15 years old. How do we get to the point of freedom? Well, there's things that I call freedom facades. You know what a facade is? It, it's something that looks real and it offers freedom, but it's not really true. It's fake. And there are freedom facades that as we work through the pain from our past, we, we buy into these things. The first freedom facade is shutting down. 
if I shut down, then I no longer can get hurt by those people, and then I'm free. But what happens when you shut down is that you check out and you become numb. And many of us and many people in our society, that's when we actually start an addiction because we're trying to shut down the pain. And so that is not true freedom. It's just a facade. It doesn't actually help us move past being frozen. Another freedom facade is if I can just get that person that hurt me, if I can just get them to understand exactly how they hurt me, then I'll be free. If we can come to a common understanding so that they understand the details of the pain that I went through and the details of their wrongdoing against me, then that'll set me free. But it's not freedom. That's a trap. How can you get someone else to see things exactly from your perspective? No one can do that. But yet you would spend your life trying to convince that person just exactly how badly they hurt you and what exactly they did. Again, it's a trap. It's not freedom. Another freedom facade I see is this idea of equaling the story. Equaling out the story. In other words, if bad things happen in my life, then I want God to bring good things into my life that equal the bad things that happen. So I want God to meet my expectations for redemption. If I go through pain, I want to be blessed. If I go and am around difficult people for five years, I want to be around people who are not difficult at all. And then you put these expectations on God that he's going to equal your story out, and you begin to chase those expectations. And when they don't work out, you end up trapped rather than free. Another freedom facade. And the last one is the most obvious one. It's not equaling the story. It's equaling the score. If someone hurts me, I'm going to hurt them. One of the greatest books in, in literature, but arguably the saddest story, is The Count of Monte Cristo. And if you've ever read that book or watched the movie, I've watched the movie, so don't be ashamed that that's all you've done too. But if you've ever watched that story, the, the, the gentleman is wronged in a deep way. And then he spends time in prison, but he escapes. And he spends his life planning this elaborate revenge. And there is chapter after chapter of this elaborate revenge unfolding. And you go, how sad. How sad that he spent his whole life trying to equal the score rather than being free to move on. But you and I are often there, we are often shutting down or pursuing a common understanding or trying to get God to equal the story or trying to equal the score ourselves. And all of those are just facades of freedom from the pain. So what does bring freedom in our life? When people hurt us and the pain from the past freezes us in the present, how do we become freed for the future? This story tells us. And the story tells us that freedom comes from two things. Freedom comes through forgiveness, and freedom comes through faith. Freedom comes through forgiveness, and freedom comes through faith. So let's look at forgiveness. Forgiveness is simply absorbing a debt. It's absorbing a debt. And when that debt is pain caused by someone else, the thing that you absorb mostly is emotional hurt, right? 
Now, that doesn't mean stuff it at all. We'll tell you what it means. In Joseph's story, the father has died. And because Joseph has this special relationship with his dad, the brothers go, maybe Joseph has been just being nice to us until dad dies. And now that dad is dead, he's going to equal the score. And so the brothers, fearful for themselves, probably fearful for their wives and children. Remember Joseph's number two in power in Egypt? They send a messenger to Joseph. They don't even go themselves. They send a messenger to Joseph, and they make up this story. They make up a story about something Jacob said on his deathbed. Joseph, when daddy was about to die, he said, please, please don't hurt your brothers. Please forgive them. Now, that's nowhere else in the story. There's no recount of that actually being said. We get the idea that the brothers were so terrified that they didn't go themselves, and they made up this request from Jacob the father to lie to Joseph, hoping it would like, make Joseph go, oh, if dad said that, then I'm not going to get them back. They're terrified. The brothers are terrified. They're ready for retribution. In fact, they come to the point where they say, we are your servants, and they actually are down on their knees before Joseph. And all of a sudden, the story comes full swing. Do you remember the very first sermon we talked about Joseph having this vision that his brothers would bow down before him? And now it's happening. And it's Joseph's chance. Man, he could put this right in their faces. Even if he doesn't physically harm them, now's the time to say, I told you. I told you didn't believe me. He has so many options to get revenge or to equal the score with them right now, but he doesn't do any of them. In fact, it says he weeps. He cries. He's not numb. He's like emotionally there, emotionally available. And the first thing he says is, do not fear. Those brothers are afraid for their lives and afraid for the lives of their wives and kids. And he says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. I will provide for you. And then it says he comforts them and he's kind to them. Grace. Blessing. Joseph is free. This is his big opportunity to even the score, and yet he doesn't even the score. He provides for them. How did he get there? How did he get to that point of freedom? And how do we get to that point of freedom? I mean, I want to be a person like that who can have really bad things done to me and yet be a person who blesses, be a person who forgives, be a person who doesn't want revenge but wants to give grace. And I think you want to be that type of person as well. How do we get there and how did Joseph get there? Well, the first thing we see is that Joseph learned to look at God in the midst of the pain. Specifically, he looked at a God who he knew had a purpose. He looked at a God who he knew had a purpose. See, God's character is that he takes really messed up evil things and he makes them into good things. He takes messed up situation and and travesties that are done against you, and he turns them for good. And so Joseph says, listen, 
as for you, you meant evil against me. Notice he doesn't let it slide. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. In other words, you guys did some stuff to me, but in my heart and my mind, that doesn't weigh as much as the goodness of my God who used those evil things that you did to bring about good. And in Joseph's perspective, what God has done in God's character weighs more than the brother's evil. That's because God is a redeemer. A redeemer. He takes broken, messed up stuff and broken, messed up people and really evil things, and he uses those bad, bad things to bring about good. Now, some of you may not like that because you have had messed up things done to you. And you have had messed up people hurt you. And so you go, well, I don't like that. Because I, I want God to use good things, you know? I don't want bad things to be the thing that God uses. But let me ask you this. What else does God have to work with? We are broken people living in a broken world. And everything that God uses is already messed up by sin, messed up by the brokenness of this world, messed up by the evil in our hearts. But that doesn't stop God from bringing about good. So if you object to, using, to God using broken things and broken people and broken situations, God doesn't have anything else to work with because we are all so broken and sinful and messed up. But that doesn't stop God. You might object and say, but doesn't that give us a free pass? I mean, if we're all broken and messed up, let's just go have fun and God's still going to use it. No, no. Paul deals with that in the New Testament and says, look, don't make a mess because God will clean it up. And Joseph himself, he holds the brothers responsible. In chapter 45, he says, you sold me into slavery. I'm not, I'm not washing that away. I'm not hiding that under the rug. You did evil. And right here he says, you meant evil against me. He's not giving them a pass. He's not saying it doesn't matter. You didn't do anything. It wasn't that bad. He's saying evil. You did evil. There's no free pass. But again, in his heart and mind, God's goodness and what God does weighs more than the brother's evil. Joseph looks at a God who has a purpose, but he also looks at God and knows that he's not him. See, God is not only a redeemer, but he's a judge. And guess what? Joseph is not God, and I'm not God, and you're not God. And that means you're not the judge. That means you're not the judge. Joseph says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God. Joseph acknowledges that the one who really has the right to weigh out what's happened is God, the judge. See, there is a debt owed here. Joseph's brothers derailed his, his life and it took a sharp turn away from the trajectory that it was supposed to go in. And the debt is insurmountable. But even though he feels that debt, he knows it's not his role to call on that debt and repay it. It's God's. And so he's free. He doesn't have to live his life trying to equal the score. He doesn't take this opportunity to equal the score because he knows that God is the ultimate judge. 
We look at a God who has a purpose, and we look at God and realize we're not him. We're not him. And maybe in some of your pain from the past, you simply need to realize that you're not the ultimate judge. What's interesting for us today is that we actually have more power than Joseph had. We have more ability to be free than Joseph had. Because we not only look at God who has a purpose, not only look at God and realize we're not him, but we look at the gospel that pays our debt. That pays our debt. The gospel says that God is a judge. And that man, man rebelled against God. God said, live with me at the center. And we said, no, we're going to live with us as the center. Just like our first parents in the Garden of Eden, we rebelled against God. The judge, the one who's perfect, the one who's just. And the debt began to incur. And God, as a judge, is both righteous, he cares about what's good and true, and he's just, so he can't let injustice slide. And we find ourselves then in a courtroom looking at the judge ourselves. Looking at the judge ourselves. And the judge says, you owe a debt. And part of the punishment that you're facing is separation from me. You're no longer in relationship with me because you have lived a me-centered life, or a you-centered life, rather than a God-centered life. And we feel the effects of that separation all throughout life. That's why we're broken people living in a broken world. That's why when we die, our souls and our bodies separate. And, and if we die not having been redeemed, we live in eternal separation from God. Because God is the judge, and we stand in his courtroom with a debt that we cannot pay. A debt far greater than what Joseph's brothers owed Joseph. But the good news about our God is that he's not just a judge, he is a redeemer who pays the debt. And God's great love for us, God the Father sends God the Son, who enters into the courtroom and says, they do not have the ability to pay the debt, but I do. I represent God because I am fully God, and I represent man because I am fully man. Jesus, the Son of God, is then put on the cross to pay off the debt that you and I owe. And what happens when Jesus dies on the cross and then rises from the dead and then ascends into heaven is that we move out of the courtroom of God no longer having the debt that we owe the judge of all things, and are welcome to the family table. God becomes our Father. There is no debt no longer owed. He graces us with his presence. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He forgives our sins, and he promises that he will never leave us nor abandon us. The canceling of the debt and the blessing of his grace that we can do nothing to lose. Out of the courtroom to around the family table with God, no longer as judge, but Father, but Father. And if you catch that, it radically changes how you deal with debts that are owed you in this life. When the pain from the past 
freezes you in the present. The way to get free in the future is to go back to the gospel, to the good news of what Jesus has done. Because when you go to the gospel, you realize we are all sinners. And if I say my sins are forgivable, but your sins against me are not forgivable, I don't get the gospel. So we have to go back to the gospel. See, our sense of justice when wrong is done against us, our sense of justice is not bad. God has a sense of justice. And so when something's done against us, we don't have to ignore it. But we realize that God has dealt with justice at the cross. The debt that has been, the debt that we owe God has been paid and everything else are just small chump changes of debts compared to what God has done for us. Our debts have been dealt with on the cross and that gives us a freedom to cancel debts that other people might owe us. See, looking to the gospel gives us a freedom to forgive. Have you ever looked to the good news of Jesus? It's there where you actually will become a forgiving person as you realize how much you've been forgiven. If you've never stepped up to the foot of the cross and seen what has been done for you, let me encourage you to come and talk to me after the service because for those who trust the good news, they're the freest people on earth. They don't have to hide who they are and they have a radical freedom to forgive because they have been forgiven. See, freedom comes through our forgiving, but also through God forgiving us in Jesus Christ. The debt has been paid. But freedom also comes through faith. The second thing we're looking at is the freedom that comes through faith. And faith is chasing after the promises of God. Faith is chasing after the promises of God. You know, in Joseph's story, um, his story does not quite turn out how he would have wanted now remember, he was taken from the promised land. He was taken from his father and brought to Egypt, never to return to the land that God has promised his family. And even though he's in power in Egypt, he's still a slave. And he dies there. He's reunited with his family, which is great, but his story does not turn out how he would have wanted. He wants to be back in the land that God has promised. But what's amazing about Joseph is he dies, not bitter at God, but full of faith. Full of faith in what God will do. He says to his brothers, I love the bluntness, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. What Joseph is saying is my story has gone drastically sideways and it's about to end. But God's story continues on. God's promises are true. And let us chase these promises together. See, for you and I, 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 I think we often get confused what it means to have faith and what it means to be free. And we get our story confused with God's story. We think that faith is believing God that he's gonna make our story work out the way we want it to. We think that faith is believing that God will make our story work out the way we want it to. That's actually not faith, that's gonna be something else that freezes you. Because you're gonna be chasing after expectations and going, God, why didn't it work out the way exact way I wanted it to? 
Faith is this. God is using my story, no matter what happens in it, whether it goes sideways or whether it goes well, God is using my story to advance his story. So I could never fall out of his plan. So it doesn't matter how bad things get in my life or how different my expectations are of what should happen, God is still using it. So many people in the New Testament died tragic deaths. And I'm sure that was not their first choice, and yet God used that to spread his purposes and to advance the gospel. Faith is God using our story to advance his story and believing that he's going to do that. And what's amazing about that is when your story turns sideways, it doesn't have to sink you. See, that's where freedom comes. When your story goes tragically wrong, you can still trust that God is using it. And in that moment, you actually become free because you don't have to make your story fit back into what your expectations were. You're free to live as a child of God who believes the promises of God in that moment and that your story, no matter what happens, is part of a bigger story. So let me encourage you, wherever in your story you think it went sideways, learn to redefine your story in God's bigger story. Learn to look at the promises of God and trust that he is using everything that's happened in your life for good. It might not work out like you wanted it to. It might not meet your expectations, but that doesn't stop God. That does not stop God. And so let me encourage you to get to know his promises and begin to trust in those and see those even more clearly than you see the tragedies in your own life. Because that's what faith really is. I mean, the hall of fame of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. All these people are known for like their stories going sideways and yet them still moving forward in faith and believing God. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is believing that God will fulfill his promises even when your story does not work out like you wanted it to. God is so committed to advancing his purposes. And that's where Joseph finds freedom to die when his story has gone sideways. What's amazing about Joseph is that he's chasing the promises of God even after he's dead. He tells his brothers, listen, God will visit you. And what he's saying is God will bring us back to the promised land. I'm not going to see it, but he will do it. And when you go carry my bones with you there. I'm so sure it's going to happen that I want to tell you to take my corpse with you into the promised land. Can you imagine this box of bones? I mean, Israel was in Egypt 400 years. And when they were finally freed, they were spent 40 years in the desert. And then finally they make it to the promised land. And we're at the end of Genesis chapter 50. What comes after Genesis is Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. And at the very end of Joshua, they bury Joseph's bones in the promised land. 440 years plus. But can you imagine what an encouragement Joseph's bones were to the people of Israel? 
those 440 years, the bones of Joseph were with his people. And every time they wanted to quit, they could see Joseph's remains right there and saying, Joseph believed we would get there. We can't turn back. We can't stop. Joseph to believe the promises of God and he's spurring us on. He's not even here. It's just his body. And that's actually what Joseph is known for. Not the time he spent in prison, although that was important. In this chapter, in the Hall of Fame of Faith, this is what it says about Joseph. He believed God even into his death. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Chasing the promises of God even in his death. And it affected generations and generations of people. He didn't see it, but his bones were a tool used to spur on faith. You know, as a church, I can't help but think of the way that this applies to us together. Um, Next week's a big week. I'm really excited. But as I look back a year ago, you'll remember that we were meeting in our house on Sunday evenings. And uh, man, we're just figuring out stuff as we go. We were a church that met in someone's house on a Sunday night. And as that grew and as, as God did some things, and as we looked to the end of the year, we didn't really know what was next, but we chased the promises of God together. And God opened up Foster Park for us. So come the new year, we moved to Foster Park on Sunday evenings. and We had a great time there. We, there were some real challenges and some really great things that happened. We had some people that joined our team during that time, and that was amazing. But as, as that time came to a close, we said, what's next? We feel like we need to move out of Foster Park. We don't know what's next, but we're going to chase the promises of God together. And God opened up Iglesia Real to us. And new people joined, and there were new challenges, and we grew in new ways. And as the summer came to a close, we said, what's next? We can't be in Iglesia Real into the fall. we got to find somewhere else. What is God going to open up for us? And God opened up McNichol Community Center. We had our challenges here as well. And people joined us here as well. And we wondered... Are we going to be able to go into OBJ? We don't know what's next, but let's continue to chase the promises of God. And God opened up OBJ for us, which we move into next week. And here's the thing. I don't know what challenges await. We've never even been there together as a group. The first time we show up, we're going to have a church service. Some would call that crazy. We can call it faith. We can call it faith. I don't know what God has for us over there, but I know as we chase his promises across the street in Obi Johnson Park, he will meet us and he will be faithful to his promises. He has committed himself to make all things new. He has committed himself to draw sinners to himself. He has committed himself to grow his kingdom. He promises to use us in our city for good. And probably most importantly, he promises to build his church. To build his church, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So look, 
whatever challenges we face next week doesn't have to freeze us. It doesn't have to freeze us. We can move forward in faith into the future because God's promises are true. And just as Joseph's faith in the promises had effects for generations to come, you have no clue how God is going to use your faith. You have no clue by the little tasks you do every Sunday morning to help. You have no clue what that God's going to use that for a year from now. There may be people sitting in the chairs a year from now that are blessed because you just kept showing up and being faithful and believing the promises of God. How we chase God's promises now, God uses in the future in ways that we cannot imagine. And that gets me excited. So can we as a church move forward into the future chasing the promises of God? Amen. Let me ask you to stand now. And I want to recenter us on who we are. We have an identity and a vision and values as a church. And I want to just remind you of that. So as we, as we started the service by a call to worship, I want to end the service just reminding you of our vision and values. I want to say the lines that are in blue, and then together you say what's in white. So New City Fellowship exists. We are empowered Did you catch that? The certainty of God's promises. We envision a church that All for the glory of King Jesus. We are New City Fellowship. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you have brought us this far by faith, that your love remains constant over us, that your promises aren't deactivated when we struggle or doubt, but they're always on. Help us to enter again into your promises, believing that they're true, believing that your character is fixed and unchanging no matter what we go through. Lord, encourage us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.